listening to Connection Church's podcast. Morning, church. How's everybody doing? Everybody good? Good, good. You all excited? Heard some clapping out here earlier, a little laughter, so that's good. Yeah, it's all right to clap. It is good to clap for God, right? Um, Man, I'm glad you're here. Glad uh, that we can have an opportunity to worship the way we do. And with that in mind, before we go any further, I do want to recognize that Tuesday is Veterans Day. And, uh, you know, we wouldn't be able to do anything that we do if it weren't for those who've sacrificed so much for us to have the freedom that we have. And so what I wanted to do before we get started today is I wanted us to take a moment and recognize the veterans who are here today. So if you're a veteran or you serve in the armed forces, uh, would you stand or raise your hand? Let us recognize you some way. Thank you. Thank you. We are extremely thankful for the men and women who have have done this for us, right? Um, We we still live in the greatest country in the world. Um, We're not perfect. We have our problems. We have things that uh, could definitely be improved upon, but we're still the greatest country. Um, And uh, and just thankful for that and thankful for all those who've served uh, here. Uh, Before we go anywhere, there's another group I want to recognize. I think we might have some folks here from the... Statesboro High class of 1994. If you're here, could you just kind of, yay, hey, what, oh, yep, there's some of them right there. Yep, 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 little group. Uh, yeah, we can clap for them too, that's good. Uh, they are, uh, they're here. We had our 20th class reunion last night, and man, they are getting old, aren't they? I tell you what, um, I, I'm, I'm glad that I stopped back there at 29, and I'm not getting any older. But, uh, but no, I'm glad they're here. It blessed me a lot to know that they were going to come and, and be here today, and so thankful for that. Um, next week, a week from tomorrow, something I wanted to celebrate with you guys. Um, a week from tomorrow is the sixth anniversary of Connection Church starting. Um, It's the sixth anniversary of the first night we met at uh, our house, um, which is no longer our house, um, which we are still homeless, so please pray for us. Um, And uh, it's the sixth anniversary of that. And so we are, uh, we're very thankful. And I can tell you this from having lived in it for the last six years, it is only by the grace of God that we've gotten here. And uh, for those of you who've been around from uh, the beginning, you know it was only by the grace of God that we got here. Um, nothing that we could have done, and certainly um, not because uh, we're that good, um, just because God decided he wanted to use some people uh, who probably are on the lower end of uh, his usability so that he could actually receive all the glory, right? And so um, it's awesome to be able to celebrate that with you. Um, I want to encourage you in this and, and really just to say what we've seen is not common. Um, it, it's something to be a, that we're blessed to be a part of, to see the salvations, the baptisms, the, the lives that have been restored, the people who uh, have met Christ and whose lives have been changed. Um, it's not common. I don't want us to ever take that for granted. Right? I want us to always remember. I think my biggest fear or concern as a pastor would be that God would quit moving, that God would quit doing what he does. Um, and the reason for that uh, is because I know we can't do it. We can't manipulate that. And so I I just pray that God would always continue to move because, listen, if he's not moving here, we need to go wherever he is moving and wherever he's working. Um, But I just believe that as long as we keep our eyes on him, we keep him lifted up, that he's going to continue to move. And as great as the last six years have been, um, the thing that I would tell you is that our work is not done. How many of you know there's a lot of kingdom work to be done? There's a lot of kingdom work to continue. There's a lot of people who um, are still out there who don't know Christ, um, even in our own community, who don't have an understanding of the 
gospel. And so we're called to go and we're called to carry that to them. I did some research this week, um, looked up a few things and found some numbers I wanted to share with you. Um, in 2012, the population of Statesboro was 72,694. The average age of that population is 25, right? So we have a very young, uh, uh, I guess, group of people who live in Bullitt County. Um, out of those 72,694 people, 34.82% of them are affiliated with a religious congregation, okay? 34.82. How many of you thought it would be like 90, right? Because yeah, we're in the Bible Belt, I would have thought it would be much higher than that, but just barely over 30, and it's not even saying that it's a Christian church, basically, that they're affiliated with. It's just saying they're affiliated with some type of congregation, religious congregation, all right. Uh, basically, what that means is that there's 48,000 plus people who live in our community who have no affiliation with any religious congregation. Uh, and so basically what that tells me is there is a lot of work to be done. Um, I saw another one that was heartbreaking to me that nearly half of all Americans said that their life had not been changed at all as a result of church going. Like, like listen, to that. all of the, the, the people they, they interviewed who had been to church, right, said 46% said it had no impact on them at all. I mean, not even a good meal after church, right? It didn't even, had none. And, and to me, that is pretty significant. To me, that is um, devastating. To me, that should not be the case because we are the people who possess the presence of God, that his presence possesses us. And when people come to our gathering together, our worship together, they should experience the power and the presence of God, right? And so that's what we should be about. That's what we should do, not an hour and 15, hour and 20 minute check-in on Sunday so that uh, we can do what we have to do, but coming together to celebrate the presence of God with us and Jesus who made that all possible. So today we're going to continue looking at how the church launched um, uh, out of uh, this giving of the Holy Spirit, this gift of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And, and I want us to see this community of believers today as we finish up Acts chapter 2, because that's what we're called to be. See, these statistics that we're talking about, they change when we become the body of Christ, when we become the church that Jesus died for us to become. And as we begin to live out the life of, of, of God, as God begins to live his life out through us, people's lives are impacted and people's lives are changed. It's how God works. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 2, verse 42 through 47. We're going to read this section of scripture. Um, we'll pray and then we'll talk about that text. To catch you up on where we've been, if you haven't been here, Acts 2, 1 through 13 is the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes. If you want to think about it in Acts 2, it's sort of the happening. It's the event that takes place that really begins to launch the church where the church continues the work of Jesus. So Acts 2, 1 through 13 is that event. Acts 2, 14 through 41 is Peter explaining that event and sharing that this is the promise of God, that he promised this day would come. This day is here. And then in Acts 42 through 47, Acts 2, 42 through 47, what we see are the effects of that. See, any true move of God, any true movement of God, anything where God is truly present and moving in his people, um, it literally has effect on people's lives. Like God never moves and it not have effect. And so when we read this text, this is the evidence, the, 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 the what happened uh, when the Holy Spirit came upon these people, this should be what our lives look like as well. So listen to this, Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. 
All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And listen to this, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would just meet us here in a very real way, God. I thank you that you are omnipotent, God. You're all powerful. You're all knowing and you're all present, God. You're everywhere. I pray that you would meet each person here today, including myself. Meet us where we are, God, and just speak to our hearts. Show us, God, what it is that you would have uh, for us, God. However we walked in here, whatever we walked in here with, God, let us walk out of here changed. God, I pray that this message would not be a good message, but it would come with power. God, it would be effective, not with persuasive words, but with the power of the Holy Spirit. God, do what only you can do. Change our hearts. Make us more like you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you guys real quick as we get going, how many of you, if I gave you about 10 to 15 seconds, you could come up with the most embarrassing moment of your life? How many, would it take very long? How many of you are like me and you have so many embarrassing moments, it might take a little bit longer, right, to come up with those? Yeah, I've got a bunch of them. And I was thinking about this today um, and during this week. And the most, one of the most embarrassing moments that I've ever had was the first time that I preached. I think I was 16, maybe 17 years old. Um, and they asked me to do the message for our youth service, right? Um, the only reason I went to youth is because Susan, who was my girlfriend, now my wife, was there. Um, and here's the crazy thing. They asked a guy who was not even saved to preach the message, okay? But I was like, hey, you know what? I can probably do that. Okay, yeah, I'll be glad to do it. And so I told him I would preach this message. I go and get everything ready. I loved baseball, so I decided I'd tie it to baseball. Um, I get up there, and if you've been around for a while, you've probably heard this, but I wanted to share it with some of you who maybe have never heard it. Uh, I, I get up there, I start to preach, and if you want to call it that, and it was the most awful thing probably in the history of Christendom. I'm just telling you, it was, it was that bad. And, and you know, I'm a sweater anyway. I get up here, and if I get going, I, get to, I start sweating. I need me a little hanky or something to wipe the sweat. But this was not sweat from being excited, being fired up, um, really being passionate. This was sweat that was coming from an emotion deep inside of me that said, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. There's no way you're escaping it. You're too far in. You're just going to have to endure it. And literally, I was sweating so badly that sweat was dripping on the paper that I had written this awful thing out on, and it was smudging the paper. It finally got to the point where I had no idea what I was saying. They had no idea what I was saying. I had no idea what to say next. And so I finally just said, all right, let's pray, right? Because when you don't have anything else to say, you just pray. And so I was like, let's pray. And literally, I was so flustered and so frustrated and so embarrassed that into the microphone, while I'm praying, I said, oh God, I don't even know what to say. And I'm like, oh, they're listening. Oh, I said that out loud. Oh, right. And so finally I just said, amen. And you know, Christians tend to lie a lot sometimes, some, some do. And, and so these people start coming up to me and they're like, that was so good. You're really anointed. I'm like, you're really an idiot if you think I'm really anointed, right? And so they're telling me all this stuff and I'm like, no, 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 no. And then I see this one little old lady coming up, little gray haired old lady, had to be about 180. I don't, she was, she was old and she's coming up to the front and I'm like, you know what? Here comes another one going to lie and tell me that I did a great job. And so she comes up and she says, you know what, son? 
you learn something every preacher ought to learn. And I was like, wow, I have already learned something every preacher ought to learn. I, am, I did a better job than I thought, right? And, and I was like, what's that, ma'am? And she said, when you don't have anything good to say, just shut up, right? <laughs> I was like, all right, all right. Appreciate the encouragement. Appreciate the encouragement, right? And, and, uh, and so embarrassing moments. And another embarrassing thing for me, even if I'm in my office by myself, is to listen to myself preach. I'm listening to my voice. I don't know why y'all come back, but you do. And the thing about it is I, I don't even like hearing the sound of my own voice. And, uh, and so this week I went back and I began to listen to some old messages um, from the very first series that we ever recorded at Connection Church. It was a series called The Purposes of the Church. It was based out of Acts 2, 42 through 47. And I was a little bit nervous when I went back to listen to them because I was like, what if I feel like we've gotten off track from where we began? What if I feel like we um, somehow have, have drifted from the mission and the heart of what God called us to do? And, and so I began to think about that and I began to, to, to just kind of be concerned. And as I began to listen, I was like, I really want the church to be able to hear some of this. So I went through, I picked out some highlights of, of the different messages from May of 2009. And I wanted you to hear them because I want today to be sort of that bus stop Sunday for, for our church where, where we sort of slow down the bus for a minute and let people get on or let people get off. But finding people who God is calling to this church, calling to this body of believers to run with the vision that he's given us. And so real quick, what I want you to do is I want you to listen, if you can bear it, um, to my voice uh, as we go through some of these old clips. Again, May 2009, we were about five, six months into um, planting Connection Church. So here you go. Check this out. And I began to look at it, and I believe that the church has become disillusioned about its purposes. So we've got to begin to see that the church is not the building, it's not the grounds, it's not the auditorium, it's not whatever you can make it, it's not the things in the building. The church is you and I. See, we're not an organization. We're not something that's just built to, so that we can ride by and go, look, there's Connection Church. We're not something to try to one day build this great auditorium so that we can ride by and go, look at how much we've grown. It's so that we can impact the lives of individuals. The first thing that the church is not, and that we've gotten so confused about, the church is not an institution. The church is not an organization. So we become so confused that, that the church is what happens in here. Second thing is this, we're not a perfect place. The church is not designed, it was never created to be a spiritual hospice. I'm telling you, the church is not designed to be a place for you to come get comfortable and die. The church is a place for you to come and be challenged. The church is a place for you to come and be stirred. Listen, the church is not a place to cater to the needs of those on the inside. But the church for too long has turned to the inside instead of to the outside. You know, one thing I have found is that if I'll begin to worry more about the needs of somebody else than my own needs, my needs seem to always get met. I'm telling you, the only way that we're gonna change the face of the earth is through the power of God moving in the church. We can't love people the way that God loves them until we know the love of God. You can't give something you don't have. Love compels us to tell other people. Love compels us to not hold it in to ourselves. Can you imagine having the key to life? Can you imagine that if in the entire world, everybody's dying, but you know the secret to staying alive and you took it to your grave? How devastating that the entire world would perish 
because we weren't willing to share the secret to life. Listen, we've got to realize that the word of God, the gospel is still powerful. We've got to realize that it still works today. That the word of God is still living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. And that it penetrates to the heart and it cuts to the heart. But we haven't seen that. Listen, we sell God short because we haven't seen it work. Think about it. When's the last time we really saw people getting saved? I mean, I've seen one or two, but I mean people really coming to the knowledge of God. It will happen. The Bible is still true and the word of God is still powerful and effective. Now think about it like this. God begins to take all these pieces of a puzzle and they're all shaped differently and they all look differently. They've all got different designs on them. They've all got different purposes as part of that puzzle. And he begins to put them together. And he begins to merge them. And I believe God's heart is for us to be so merged together and so pressed together and so put together that eventually those little lines you see in the puzzle just begin to disappear. Then what the world gets to see is a clear picture of God. You know, one of the most awesome things that I believe God will do through this ministry and through his love is a reconciliation of people from every walk of life, of people who are white, people who are black, people who are Asian, people who are Hispanic, people who are rich, people who are poor, people who have a lot, people who have nothing, people who've been in church all their life, people who maybe they walk through the door for the first time. Because in God, in Christ, there is no prejudice and there is no exclusion. And when we begin to realize that, we can make an impact. We can do awesome stuff. We can change the world. When we unite, man, it is a powerful powerful thing. Amen. Yeah. We survived that, right? But I I was encouraged when I listened to it. And the reason that I was encouraged is because I hear the same heart in that as today, that we are a church who was planted here um, to reach people who are far from God. God sent us here. He planted us here. He put us here because there are people who need to be reached. There are people who um, God desires for us to reach. And the great news is God wants us to reach them more than we probably want to reach them, right? Uh, he, he wants no one to perish. He wants them all to hear the gospel. He wants them all, everyone to have that opportunity. And I just believe when we begin to cooperate with God, when we cooperate with his spirit, he begins to move and he begins to do things that we couldn't do. Listen, when you heard that uh, part of the clip where at that point in my life, I had not seen very many salvations at all. But I knew that God's word said that he would bring people to faith that through his spirit, and we just began to proclaim and we just began to believe that God would save people. And now we've seen 344 salvations in the last few years. That is awesome, yeah. Is it because of who we are? No, it's not because of who we are. It's because of who he is. It's because he continues to redeem and restore people's lives. People who have been at the end of their rope, who he rescued, who were able to fall, yes, but fall into his arms and be set back right on their feet and on a firm foundation that could support them. That's what God wants to do. And so I want you to see today in this text, I want you to see some things that God's called us to be. The first thing I want you to see out of Acts 2, 42 through 47 is that they were a new community. Okay, they were a new community. They were a group of people who had 
had an encounter with Jesus, with the resurrected Christ, had been filled with his Holy Spirit, um, were now empowered to go, and you see a new community taking shape. Even secular historians have recorded how profoundly different the church was in that day because people looked at them and they saw a difference. They didn't see the same selfishness and the same attitude that the world had. Um, one even recorded that there was something truly divine about this group of people. Why? Because the one who is divine, God, lived in them and was living through them. And so God wants us to be a new community. There are some things that we're not. There's some things that the church is not called to be and that Connection Church is not called to be. And I wanted to hit those. You may have heard them briefly in there. But the first one is we're not called to be a building, right? The church is not a building. How many of us, when we think about going to church, we think about the place where we're going. But see, the church gathers because the church is every person. It's every believer that comes together. And so we're not a building. We're not to be about a building. Listen, we're building a building, yes, but that is to be a facility that facilitates more people coming to know Christ. If the building becomes the idol of our worship, if the building becomes uh, the, the thing that, that is most important, if we start leaning on a building to draw people to God, then we need to burn it down. I'd rather be in a tobacco barn with no speakers or a microphone than standing on a stage with a bunch of lights and a nice building, uh, void of the presence of God, right? And we need to remember that. We need to remember we're not an organization. We're not, we're not called just to be, the church is organized. God even gives us um, directions on how to organize the church. But it's not at its heart an organization. It's not an institution. We're a gathering of people. Listen, I don't want to be a professional Christian. We just get good at doing church and, and we look like everything's together and, 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 and there's no people with issues and, and, and I, we're, we're not called to be that. I don't want to be a professional preacher, right? I don't want to just have it where it's just so polished and perfect that we've got this. We can, we can handle this. It's in our hands, right? We can do this. God, you sit down and you go sit over there in the chair and watch how good we do. No, because apart from him, we're hopeless. We can't do anything. We can't change a heart. Can you change a heart? Absolutely not. You can't even change you. I can't change me. It takes a holy God living in us to change us. The next thing is that we're not a perfect place for perfect people, right? There's no perfect person in here. In fact, if you're perfect here today, you can go ahead and go check on the pot roast because you can go ahead and go because there's no need for you to be here. But we're not a perfect place with perfect people. There's no such thing as a perfect person. In fact, if you went and you searched and you found the perfect place and you went to that perfect place, guess what? It'd no longer be perfect. Why? Because you're there, right? Or because I'm there. And so it's not a perfect place for perfect people. Fourth thing, it's not a spiritual hospice. See, I had three grandparents who passed in hospice care. It's a great ministry. It's a great thing. Uh, but, but what hospice really does and what they do well is they comfort people as they're terminally ill, as they're about to pass from this life to the next. Great ministry, great, great, oh man, people with a calling, I'm telling you, to do that kind of work. But the thing I would tell you is that the, the church is not called to be a spiritual hospice, that we just come in and are made comfortable and then we just gradually die. The church is a place that we're challenged, that we're stirred, 
that we want to go, that we want to move because God's challenging in us and stirring us and moving in us so that we want to go. We want to be a part of his work. He's doing something great in us so he can do something great through us. And so we're moving with his spirit as his spirit blows us along, moves us along. We follow him and the church becomes a hospital, not a hospice. It is a place for sick people, yes, because we're all sick with the same disease called sin. But it's a place where people come in sick and they leave well. Because Jesus loves you so much, he'll meet you where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. Jesus loves you too much to let you continue uh, limping along when he has the power to make you whole spiritually, right? To bring us into this wholeness. And so we're not called to be a spiritual hospice. The last one is this, we're not called to be a spiritual country club that caters to those on the inside. See, every church has this battle of turning to the inside. Why? Because many times the voices on the inside are really loud. We should take care of our people. We're going to take care of our people. But our focus, our eyes can never just turn in. We've got to continue to look out and realize that there are people around us who are dying and they're living, spending eternity separated from God simply for the fact that they haven't heard the message. And our call is to keep our eyes focused out and continue to carry that message to the world. Not to just become comfortable and sit in here. See, there's a big difference in the country club and a church. Country club members have rights. In the church, members have responsibility. We're called to to, to steward this, this gospel that we've been given. It's a responsibility to proclaim it to other people. I want to hit real quick why we started this community. Number one, is it because it was a mandate? We felt like God told us, start this church or to be disobedient. There was really no choice. And we felt specifically that we were called to start a church that would simply connect people to God and connect people to each other. It was a church that would be where people could come and, and, and even though they're broken human beings, they could begin to find wholeness in Christ as they discovered who he is and then discovered who they are in him. See, the biggest, most important two words you'll ever have in your vocabulary, they go together and they are in Christ. That's two, right? Two. In Christ. Yeah, good. I'm kidding. I was pretty confident of that one. But are in Christ. Why? Because it tells us who we are. You know, since the fall and the garden and sin and the separation of man and God, people have been trying to figure out who they are and why they are here. And it's been an all-out search for identity. And we've looked for every, in every corner, everything we could possibly look to, from relationships to alcohol to drugs to whatever you want to throw out there, to sports, athletics, whatever it might be. We've looked for that identity. But the reality of it is people become whole and they find who they are and they find their purpose when they meet the resurrected Christ. That's the only place that our identity is able to be found. We started this community, this church to see a genuine, authentic community of believers. See, a place where real people could live out a real relationship with Jesus. Real people, not polished people who look perfect, right? Not polished people who have no problems. Not people that when we walk in and we just ask how we're doing, we just spout out some generic Christian phrase like, I'm blessed and highly favored by the most high God, right? And yet your life's falling apart, right? And so a place of real, real people, who can have real problems because they're not going to be judged by them and simply because we believe that Jesus is big enough to make even that problem whole, to make that problem healed, to make that problem no longer a problem. 
And, and we've had people leave the church. And, and, you know, sometimes it's hard not to like somebody's Facebook page when they say that they've left and gone to another church because some people, it's just an antagonistic mindset. And, and, and you, why won't you run these, this group off? I get this. I get people tell, asking me, well, you need to make them leave. Well, why don't I make you leave? Let's talk about your sin. You want to talk about that? Let's talk about, let's talk about you, right? Let's talk about your judgmentalism. Let's talk about your gossip. Let's talk about your bitterness. Let's talk about your hatred. Let's talk about all those things. Because listen, 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 listen. Nobody is perfect. Nobody has it all together. The thing that we know is we just know the perfect God who's able to work on those issues, who's able to take us through a process of the Holy Spirit so that we can be better than we used to be. I'm tickled, uh, not tickled, that's not probably the word, but I'm amused, tickled, <laughs> but I'm amused at people who, who, who they're like, I can't believe that you let them do that. And, and you know, they smoke cigarettes. At least it's not a crack pipe like it used to be, right? And, and the thing is, I'm just, um, I'm blown away by that. This, this is not a perfect place for perfect people. This is a place for real people to live out a real relationship with Jesus and other people, right? If, if you want a perfect place, this is the wrong one. Another reason we started this church is to demonstrate God's heart and his plan and his purpose to the world. This community exists so that people can see hope in Christ, so that people can see the plan of God. It's like the puzzle that I talked about, uh, you know, six years ago. When, when, when those puzzle pieces come together and they merge so tightly in the Holy Spirit that those lines begin to disappear. Those lines that separate begin to disappear. And people are able to see a good picture, a perfect picture of God and what Christ looks like because they're looking at the church. And, and we, we need to be that way. I was thinking about that. I was thinking about a scripture Jesus actually quoted in Luke chapter 4. But in Isaiah penned it first in Isaiah 61. I wanted to read it to you because I believe that this is what God's called us to be and do as he called Jesus to be and do. Now that we are the body of Christ, we're called to do this. Isaiah 61 verse 1 says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me. You know, if you're in Christ and you said yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He gave you his spirit so that you could go and do the things that he did. He anoints us with the Spirit. He puts His Spirit in us. And He says to preach the good news to the poor. What is the good news? The good news is the gospel of Jesus, that Jesus paid the price for our sins so that we could have a relationship with God and not to be separated from Him. It says, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. I think those are so important because there's so many brokenhearted people in the world around us. There are so many people who are held captive by some sin or some addiction or some relationship, something that Christ is able and maybe the only one who is able to set them free from, right? The only one to be able to give them hope. He says, release from darkness for, for the prisoners. You know, one of the things I see when I walk through our community, when I talk with people, when I'm out in restaurants or wherever I might be, and I see people, so many times the thing that I see in them as I look into their eyes is I see an emptiness. I see a hollowness. It's almost like it's void and dark. It reminds me of the earth before God began to create all of all that he created. As he began to speak to creation, he talks about it being void. It's dark. It's formless. And I look into people's eyes. And what I realize is the hollowness of their eyes 
points to the hollowness of their soul. It means that their soul is dark and their spirit is dead. And this is our call, people, is to proclaim this message of Jesus that brings light in that darkness, that sets them free from what's holding them captive and begins to heal their broken heart from the experience of this life. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to be. And I pray to God that we never, ever waver from this message of hope that tells even the hopeless, the most hopeless person that there is hope in Christ. That's what we're called to do. It's what we're called to be, is to proclaim this message to them. It says to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. This next part, what we're gonna see him say is basically taking what you would normally do in a grieving process in those days, um, and maybe even because of the death of someone, and then he's gonna change it over to what you would do if you were getting ready for a celebration or the recognition of something extremely important. And so he says, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. He says, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, to the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And see, here's the awesome thing about this. He's saying, listen, uh, you don't have to put those ashes on any longer uh, because this was what they would do when they were grieving. They would throw, I don't know why they threw ashes on themselves, but they did. And they would put ashes on themselves. And that was part of their mourning process. He says, listen, you're no longer are you gonna mourn because of this separation of you and God. But the reality of it is he's gonna exchange beauty for ashes. He's gonna take you from this place of death to this place of celebration in life. He says, listen, you're not going to have to wear this, uh, this, this, this mourning all your life. You can put on this oil of gladness. It's going to make you smell pretty, right? It's going to make you, it's, it's, it's going to shine up your face. It's going to make you look right. And he's basically telling us in this scripture that he, Jesus, Isaiah, as he's prophesying this about 900 years before Christ, he's basically saying, listen, this man, Jesus is going to come and he's going to do something for you that's going to take you from death to life, from mourning to celebrating. And that's the message that we're here to proclaim. That's what we should experience as believers. So this community of people, they were devoted to one another. They were devoted to the gospel. They proclaimed it. It was a living, living group of people, a body of believers. They were devoted to God's word. They were devoted to worshiping him and him alone. They were devoted to growing uh, in numbers, yes, but in depth with their relationship with God. They were devoted to one another. How many of you speak Greek? Anybody speak Greek? Anybody speak Greek? I don't see any hands, so you won't know if I say this right. But there's a Greek word, and the name of the word is koinonia. Koinonia, right? And, and the word is actually a word that became denoted to, with, only with Christians because it was a word that, that meant this special fellowship that people saw Christians have, like in Acts 2, 42 through 47, where this new community had been birthed. And this koinonia happens, um, and it only happens when our koinonia with one another, this fellowship with one another, is based on our common fellowship and relationship with Jesus. So that if that relationship with God is not right, with Christ is not right, there's no way our relationship in the church can be right. And so basically what we have become and what we should be as the church is this new community bound together by the Holy Spirit and united around Jesus himself. And our common fellowship with Jesus creates this, this supernatural fellowship with each other. This bigger than, 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 than our differences, that's bigger than uh, what color our skin is, that's bigger than, than uh, how much money we have, that's bigger than anything else that we could possibly think of. 
is this relationship with Christ. Another thing that this community had is that they were a telling church. They were evangelistic. It talks about how they were adding to their number. They were proclaiming this message of the gospel. And love does compel us. The love of Christ compels us to tell other people. Why is that? Because we have the key to life. We have the key that unlocks the soul so that the eyes are no longer hollow, but they're filled with the life of Christ. We have the key that, that, that and how devastating, right? If we don't tell people, if we've got the key and, and how, how, listen, what a waste if we don't take advantage of the opportunity God's given us. One, to know him and two, to share him with other people. But they were a telling church. And, and I hear this a lot. I get a lot of this is that people are nervous about sharing their faith. And, and we think like you gotta have a PhD in theology to be able to share your faith. Like how many of you get nervous, right? When you, when you think about sharing your faith? I mean, just be honest. I, I do. My heart still beats hundred miles an hour when there's an opportunity. I'm like, oh boy, right? Jesus loves you. What? I say, have a good day, sir. Right? I mean, we, we just get nervous. We get nervous. We, we don't, I mean, it's just, but why? It's because you don't know what's gonna happen, right? You don't know. And the thing about it is though, guys, you don't have to have a PhD in theology. You don't have to have all the answers. Should we study? Yes. Yeah. Should we educate ourselves about our faith? Absolutely. But the reality of it is, no matter how much we study, somebody's probably going to have a question we don't know the answer to. And you know what you do? You say, okay, I don't really know, but I'll find out. And you go. And I'm going to tell you three things that you do to share your faith. Very simple, very easy. Here's number one. You ready? Still going to be nervous when you do it, but here's number one. Tell them who you were before Christ. Tell them who you were before Christ. Who were you? I know who I was, right? Some of y'all do too. It wasn't pretty. It was not pretty. And here's the thing I can, it still didn't all that pretty, but it's not, it wasn't, especially then. Who were you before Christ? Number two, how did you meet him? How did you meet him? I mean, how? how what, was that, what was that conversion experience like? And three, who are you now? How has he changed your life? See, the one thing nobody can take away from you is your testimony. You can share your experience. And you know the thing that'll keep you worshiping God when you, the thing that'll have you walk into this auditorium and worship God from a place of, of sincerity of heart is when you never forget where you came from. Never forget where Jesus brought you from. And when you share that with people, it's basically the same thing that happens in the gospel of John in chapter nine. There was a man born blind, right? And, and, and Jesus heals him and the Pharisees keep coming. These religious people keep coming and are like, who heals you? Who heals you? Who heals you? How'd this happen? How'd he do it? What'd he do? And finally in John chapter nine, verse 25, the blind man goes, listen, all I know is I once was blind, but now I see. If you got any other questions, you have to ask somebody else, <laughs> right? He says, I just know this. And, and, and that's, our, that's kind of our, testimony too right my eyes were hollow my soul was empty and yet I met this man named Jesus and he changed everything he gave me hope he gave me life he took me from 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 alcoholism to this place of being restored and having a firm foundation to live on and that's our testimony that's how we share our faith we can get into the theology of it yes yes absolutely let's talk about that but man, I'm telling you, our testimonies are powerful, powerful things. Another thing that they were was a serving church. See, they were serving in the church. They were serving outside of the church. And we should do both too. Why should we serve in the church? Well, number one is it tears down walls for people. How many of you were greeted by somebody when you walked in today? Like one person maybe that said, hell, at least one, right? Yeah. And, and, and you know what it does? How many of you remember, maybe you, you remember the first time you ever went to church? Anybody remember that? 
I can remember going to church. I still get nervous going to church, right? Not this one as much, but others. And I still get nervous. And it's because it's just such a, I had so many bad church experiences. And so I would still get nervous. You begin tearing down walls. You begin opening hearts when we serve other people um, inside the church as people are coming in. And we begin to ease minds and think of what am I walking into? Well, at least if they're gonna kill me, they're smiling at me, right? And they're saying hello. And it begins to ease minds. And here's another thing for you, it matures your faith. Why? Because you're doing something that doesn't necessarily come natural to people. It's something that God does in our heart when he gives us a desire to serve. So we do serve inside the church. We also serve outside the church in other ways because it takes our words that, yes, Jesus is hope, Jesus is life, Jesus changed my life. And then we put some deeds with those words and people see our words or see our deeds and they hear our words. And then they realize that there is something definitely divine about Jesus. And so we serve outside the church and there's huge numbers of ways, fostering, um, wheelchair ramps. Me and my sons and uh, Joey, our executive pastor, we went and we built a wheelchair ramp for a family with our, our sons and they came back with all their fingers. It was awesome. And, um, and you know, we got them out there, they got big nail gun. They're like, you know, it's like knocking them down. Um, well, they'll be fine. Don't worry about that. And uh, so you can do all that. You, you can go out and coach uh, a team, right? Go out and coach a team intentionally to show them the love of God. Like not to throw your shoes at umpires and things like that, that I could have possibly done at some point in my life, right? Um, you could do tutoring. I mean, think about all the ways just in your daily life. Where are you around people? That's where you, that's where you share. That's where you serve. That's where you show a difference. The, the, the fourth one that we see in this is that they were a giving church. They were generous people. Love compelled them to give and give generously. And, and we need to see this. See, this is the one that the church has the hardest time with because people get mad and angry when you talk about their money, right? And I hear people say this sometimes, well, Connection Church just wants my money. If you say that, then you don't know me and you don't know the heart of our church. And, and here's the thing. Some of the most cruel people in Christianity are people who judge your heart without ever knowing it. And people say, so you know what I found to be true? And I'm not going to say this is every single person who would say that or think that. But many times it's just an excuse to not have to attend. There's some sin in their life that they're running from or some, somebody that they're trying to run to other than Christ. And so they make that up and they say that and then that's what happens. But all throughout scripture, the Bible teaches us to be generous. Why? I'm glad you asked that question because I have four reasons that we should be generous. Number one, God gave. He gave himself. Remember that verse I forgot a few weeks ago? Anybody remember that? I got a wristband now that has it written on it, so I'll never forget it again, right? John 3, 16, one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. I couldn't even remember the most foundational scripture in the Bible. That God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, bam, right? But that's such a foundational thing that God gave himself to us so that we could come to know him. Another reason is because it's your wisest investment for your future. See, everything we see and know is in 2,000 years, it's going to be gone. You know what's still going to be here? The church. You know what's still going to be moving and going and it's unstoppable? The church. The third reason is it's to guard your heart. Money is the number one competitor for our heart. And people will say money is evil, but you know what? Money's not evil. It's the love of money that's evil. And Jesus talked so much about money because he knew it would be a competitor for our heart, a competitor to rob us of our affection for him and put it into things. 
I, I think we're even seeing a shift in church, including this church, because the economy's gotten better. People are making more purchases. People are, are starting to go more. And, and now God is slowly drifting out of the forefront of some people's minds. And we need to realize this, that Jesus gives us these teachings not to take from us, but to give to us. The fourth one is because you believe in the mission. So you need to belong to a church, you need to give to a church, you need to be generous with a church and with people that you believe in the vision and the mission of what they're doing, that you feel it's important, that you want to be a part of it. And I can tell you with serving, with evangelism, with um, generosity and community, if any one of those four things is weak, it weakens the entire church. And church, we need to be strong because I believe God's given us a huge vision for what he wants us to do. I believe this, that God's called us to reach 10,000 people in the next 10 years. And that sounds absolutely huge. But the thing I would tell you is, is when we began with seven people to where we are today was, is an increase of 15,714%. I like choked when I saw that this week, right? Because that's incredible. To go from where we are now to 10,000 is a 900% increase. That's still huge. But you know, we have a God who does exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever think or imagine. And the way we're going to do this is staying true to the vision, all of the things we've talked about today. We're going to stay true to that. With God's help and the power of his spirit, we're going to stay true to what he's called us to do and to be. And we're going to see God do incredible things. One of the things that I wanted to show you and I wanted to talk about, because this has been huge for us in this church, every time we've ever given God what we call an empty jar, he's always filled it. It comes out of 2 Kings, the book of 2 Kings, when there's a lady who has just a little bit of oil and, and she and her, her son, they're about to um, basically die. They don't have anything, right? Um, and people are about to take the little bit that she has. And this prophet comes to her and he says, if you'll take that little bit of oil and you'll gather up all the empty jars you can and you begin to pour that oil, you know, God's going to take care of you. And she goes and gets these empty jars. And as she pours, every time she fills one up, they set it to the side and then they fill up another one. And what we've seen in this church is that God does that. God, God still fills empty jars. And every time we give God an, an empty jar, whether it's an empty space or an empty uh, um, just opportunity, he seems to fill it. And I was thinking about where we've been and I think I was thinking about what we've seen. And you know, we started out in my house and then we went to this empty jar that was a pond house out in the middle of nowhere. We met on Monday nights at 6.30. God felt sorry for us, so he kept showing up and doing awesome things. And then we, we gradually outgrew that. Then we went to this place called, we called the Blue Building. It's a little blue building over behind Burger King. And, and we began to meet there and we were knocking out walls and finally we outgrew that. And then finally we moved over here to Statesboro High School and we wondered, could we possibly fill this place up? And then we ended up having to go to two services. So because so many people were here and we wanted to make room for new people who weren't here. And so we started doing a nine and an 11 and God gave us the ability to be able to do that. But see, that's where we've been. And in and, and, and the end of February, it looks like we'll be moving into this new facility, which is a great and it's awesome. And that's where we've been, where we're going, but, but where, what are we going to do? What are we called to? Well, we're, we're going to do what God's told us to do. We're going to go out and we're going to do everything we can uh, by the power of the Spirit to reach 10,000 people in 10 years with the gospel of Jesus Christ. How are we going to do that? Glad you asked that too. Number one, we're going to do um, 
outreach. We're going to do ministry um, in this community, outside this community, in this country, outside of this country, through missions and outreach. One of the ways we're going to do that in a big empty jar that we're giving God and praying that God will fill is transitional housing, which is this is not transitional housing. Um, we might need to find that jar. <laughs> but we're going to fill a jar that has transitional housing on it, okay? Um, through our missions and outreach, we'll pretend it's in here, okay? Um, through our missions and outreach, we're going to fill that jar. It's a place where people can come who are, who, are, who are maybe not homeless, but they're borderline homeless and they need a fresh start. We realize you help 10, you maybe really help one, but that one is so worth it and we're willing to invest in that. Another way, there it is, right there, it was in my hands. And, and another way that we're going to do that. Um, is we're going to do it through church plants. Um, this one right here, we're going to do it through church plants. We're going to plant other churches in other communities. I'm not telling you we're going to go places and plant next to a church that's already doing what we're doing. We're going to go places where it's not being done. And what's so cool is that we actually had a church who contacted us and asked if we would come to their community, um, a, a Baptist church. Um, and, and they said, if you'll come, we'll support you financially and we'll also provide a building for you to meet in. Isn't that pretty cool? That don't just happen. And, and so we are excited about that. The way that's going to happen is we're going to do that through the one-in-one -one project. If you've been around, you've heard about it. But it's basically our goal is to raise $3 million, which is, hello, a lot of money. And 50% and of that's going to go to a permanent facility, our main base, so to speak, where we're not going to just gather, we're going to scatter. And then 50% of that's going to these other things, the transitional housing, the missions, the outreach. Um, this is, this is the, the, the catalyst, I guess you could say, um, uh, as far as allowing us to do this. It all happens through the Holy Spirit and God working. But that's what God's called us to. It's what God's called us to be and to do. And we're going to see these things take place. I believe it with all my heart. It was funny. I had not seen salvations the way we've seen salvations, but the Bible said it was true. I know this, God wants people to be reached. He wants churches to be planted. And so we're just going to believe and go and step and take, have faith that God will do what his word promises. Because so far for the last gazillion years or however old the earth is, God's been faithful. And so we're going to continue to believe that God will indeed be faithful. How that's going to happen, though, is when it starts with us, it, it, when we come together. Uh, I want to end with this. There's a scripture in second, uh, or 1 Samuel chapter 14. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Second, or 1 Samuel chapter 14. And it's, it talks about this young man named Jonathan. Now, Jonathan was the son of an important man named Saul. Saul was the, uh, he was the, uh, king, the first king of Israel. Saul didn't do a whole lot, but Jonathan had some great moments. And one of those moments, he's with his armor bearer, who would have been someone who fought with him, who protected him, who guarded him. Um, he was with his armor bearer, another young man, and he said, listen, there's some Philistines over on the other side. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, let's go, let's go fight those Philistines. The Philistines were the enemy of Israel. And I want you to hear what happened. It says that when they went and they saw these Philistines, it was at a pass called Michmash. And in verse 4, it says, On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost, there was a cliff. One was called Bozes, which means slippery, basically, is how it's translated. The other is Sinai, 
which means thorny. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmas, the other to the south towards Geba. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. He says, perhaps, this is all done on a perhaps. You know how many great moves of God began because somebody said, perhaps God will do this. Perhaps God will fill those empty jars. Perhaps if we're faithful uh, to do what he calls us to do, we know he's gonna be faithful to do what he promised. He says, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few, whether you've got seven or you've got 1,200, nothing will hinder the Lord. Do all, and listen to this, this is the key, guys, this is the key. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said, go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. So that they went, they climbed these cliffs, just to get to the fight, they had to go up the slippery cliff and they had to go up the thorny cliff. And then when they get there, they had a great victory. But what if Jonathan's armor bearer hadn't done what he did? So God's called us, and this is where we get all this heart and soul talk from is this passage. God's called us to be heart and soul with his church, with his mission, with the vision that he's established. And what we want and why we have bus stop Sundays, so to speak, so that people can get on and we can run together because it's not something that one, two, three, four, five people can do. It's something that takes that whole body of Christ coming together, being locked together by the Holy Spirit, fellowshipping with, as we all have our own fellowship with Christ. We come together and we fellowship with Him and with each other. And we do this together, but we come heart and soul. Whatever it takes becomes our motto. Whatever we need to do, we'll do it because perhaps God is gonna move in an incredible way. See, I do not want to go to my grave without having experienced just an incredible movement of God, changing lives and transforming people's hearts. Yes, we've seen that, but there's just, this is just the tip of the iceberg. And we come to this place where we say, yeah, we're heart and soul with Him and heart and soul with each other. See, God paid a great price for us. He paid a great price for us that, that we could know Him. In Philippians chapter two, the Bible tells us that Jesus came to earth as God, but He laid His rights to the side as God and He, he didn't hold on to those. He laid them to the side. He became a man like us so that He could die for us. He could take the curse for us of sin. He could be punished for that so that we could be set free, so that we could have the light of life in us. He rose, overcoming death in the grave. Now he sits at the right hand of the Father and he sends his Holy Spirit to indwell those who put faith in him. And see, that's the beginning for us. Before we can be heart and soul of the church, we've got to be brought into the church and that happens through faith. I don't know what it is in your life that maybe is hindering you from being all in with God. I don't know what it is that's hindering you from being uh, all in with his church, a church, not be not this church, a church, because I believe this with all my heart that the church is, the local church is the hope of the world that Jesus wants to use to proclaim his hope to the world. But this is what I wanna do. I wanna ask you today, if, if you've never had that relationship with God that brought hope into your life, then today you can do that. I wanna ask you today, if there's something that's hindering you from fully wholeheartedly pursuing God, it might not be anything that's necessarily bad, what we would think of as bad, but it might be just busyness. It might just be children's athletics. There's, there's no telling what it could be, but it's hindering you. Then listen, I wanna pray for you. 
This is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask everybody just to close your eyes. Let's just begin to pray. I want to pray. And if today you need to make Jesus and, and just accept his invitation for him to be your Lord and Savior, to take your sin off of you, so that you can be made right with God, or if there's just something in your life that's hindering you from wholeheartedly pursuing him, from being heart and soul with this church or another church, maybe it's busyness, maybe it's, it could be anything, but I guarantee you this, you ask God, he'll show you. He'll reveal that. Lord, I thank you for this morning, the opportunity to be with you, to share our hearts, to fellowship with one another, um, and to share this common fellowship we have with you. God, give us courage to step where you tell us to step. God, let us just follow you and let us be courageous. Lord, protect us from those who would come in with uh, a bitterness of heart, who try to derail what you have, God. Protect us from pride or arrogance that whatever make us think this was about us or that somehow we had anything to do with this. We know, God, that it is all you. And I pray for the person here today who there's something in their life that is just hindering them from following, hindering them from being heart and soul. Maybe it was a bad church experience. I don't know what it might've been, but I pray, God, that you would uh, just give them the courage to, to remove that thing, to, to just give it to you, just surrendering it to you, God. But I pray for the person who has no relationship with you. They've never said yes to Jesus. They've never accepted his invitation of forgiveness in life. I pray that today their hearts would be softened and moved just to say yes to him and receive him and receive the spirit of God. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for all that you do and who you are. In Christ's name.